Today is a, a continuation of our series, Ghost Stories, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And depending on what part of the country you're from, it could be the Holy Ghost. So anyway, see, there's Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, and uh, we're telling stories about Him. I want you to have a fullness of an understanding of who the whole uh, Trinity is, not just Father and Son, but there's the Holy Spirit. And so um, I pray that you would walk out of here today not operating on two-thirds of an understanding of God, but getting a full understanding of who He is and uh, what He desires to do in your life. So the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's do it, all right? We ready? All right. What's up, Canyon Creek? I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit is here. And we say that all the time, right? It just rolls out of our mouths. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit told me this. The Holy Spirit is blah, blah, blah. Well, today we are going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind you as we get going in this, if you don't know, the Bible is actually the original scriptures before they were translated into English and other languages um, are, are written in uh, Greek. New Testament was written in Greek. And then the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic. Let's just say Hebrew. And so Hebrew and Greek, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, we sort of will benefit kind of from an understanding of what those were, what the word for the Holy Spirit means in those original languages. But, but by far, Hebrew is my favorite. I love the Hebrew word for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And it's, 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 I took two years of Hebrew, so I, I can do this right. <clears throat> Ready? Got to clear your throat. It's ruach. Now, maybe I did a little overemphasis of the ruach. It's ruach. And what it means is a powerful, massive wind, a breath, or violent, I love this, violent exhalation. Something like that, okay? Um, and, then, and then, so then the Greek one is pneuma. And you might remember that if you're a mechanical engineer, you know about pneumatic drills, pneumatic. That's pneuma. Pneuma in the New Testament. Ruach in the Old Testament. And, and in, in Greek, the, the word pneuma means current of air, a blast of breath, a strong breeze. So the Holy Spirit is like a wind. Sometimes it comes like a gentle breeze, and other times it comes like a mighty rushing wind with power. And today I want to talk to you about the power of the Holy Spirit and how he exhibits himself in our lives. So before we begin, let's look at when Jesus uh, is getting ready to ascend into heaven and he is going to invite his disciples uh, to, uh, to gather together in a place. And then he says this in Luke 24, 49. The words are on the screen. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And with that same powerful spirit that he's talking about there, what's interesting is, is this isn't peculiar to a particular point in history. This kind of power is available to and accessible to us today. Yes, right here, right now, today. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a concept. It's not a gut feeling. It's not an intuition. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he's available to us today. So that said, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin there, and you can follow along with us as we go from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be spending a little bit of time in 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to get a fuller understanding. My prayer, really, this is, this is my prayer, that you walk out of here and you, you know God better uh, through his word. Acts chapter 1. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, there would be sort of less of me and more of you today, God. I, I know 
that you have gifted me with teaching, and I appreciate that, Lord. I pray, God, that you would multiply it and use it as only you can. I pray I would step aside in humility and allow your Holy Spirit, um, not just talking about it, but experiencing you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, like many of you, when I was a college student in my freshman year, I was short on cash. So I decided with a friend of mine, we were going to start a, a fencing business. Yep, I'm going to do that. And so I borrowed this uh, tool from my dad, and we'd gotten a contract to do what's called post-hole fences, where you kind of, what you do, if you've never done this before, is you dig a, a hole in the ground, sort of about four feet down, and you take these giant posts and you put them in the hole. So you got to dig the hole. It's hard to do. And you put the post in there, then you fill it with concrete. You throw a couple bags of concrete down in there. You mix it. And then you throw some dirt on, you tamp it, you get a really good solid post, but then you could do that many, many times, and then you connect the rails. Okay, so now that I told you that, let me show you the tool that we use. We got out there with my dad. It's this post hole digger. Anybody ever used one of these things? Oh, man, lots of you guys. You know, you slam it down to the earth, and you pull it apart, and you do that little thing, and you just start, like, jamming the earth around, and then you take a shovel, and you remove, remove the dirt. Well, so my, my buddy and I are kind of like, Working our way down this, we were, we were digging a hole, and then by the second hole, we looked at our watches, and it's like 10 a.m. It's 10 a.m. Like, I mean, it's almost lunchtime, right? And, and we, we've barely gotten two, two holes dug, and we're like, this is going to take forever. We have, we have nine acres to do. There's no way that we can do this. And literally by the end of the day, I think we had five or six holes dug and posts set just took way too long, and this is, there's no way we can do this. So we go talk to somebody who's kind of given us advice, and they're like, what are you doing just using a post hole digger? You guys need to get a bobcat with an auger. You need to get one of these. Now, so, so I didn't even know what that was. It was like, what's a bobcat and an auger? And like, it's a machine that you rent, and it can dig all the holes for you. And I thought, well, that's kind of neat. And so we rented this thing, and in one day, we had dug all the holes for all of the fence and put the, put the post in there. I mean, it was incredible. I had no idea that that kind of power was available to me. And I remember using the bobcat, feeling the power as it was drilling down. And it was cool. Like, I was pulling up boulders and stuff. I was like, that could have been me. But the, the, the auger's pulling it up and tossing it aside. It was so beautiful. And I got to thinking about this because this story reminds me of the way Christians operate today. I mean, what we do this is we put on our work gloves and we get our post hole digger and our shovel and we get to work in the Christian life. I mean, we get sweaty and we get busy, right? Got to deal with that sin. Got to deal with this. Got to like, we really, really try. And we get white knuckles sometimes about certain things, you know? I mean, disciplines and all, they're great. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to be in a relationship and community, blah, blah, blah. All those things you got to pursue, but we do them on our own effort. And what we're doing is we're, we're not getting very far because we don't realize that there's far greater power available to us. Far greater power. <coughs> and what the bobcat illustrates for me is that sometimes we just need to lay our shovel aside and get the real power operating in us and for us. And that is the kind of power that's available in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus says um, that you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you 
will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's promising. He's saying, what you need to do is you need to stick around, and the promise of the Father is to give you the Holy Spirit. And, there, and, there, and there's this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens. And he says, not many days from now, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And um, in case you don't know what the word baptism is, at Canyon Creek Church, we do baptism by immersion. Many other traditions, perhaps you came to one that baptized in a different way, but we baptize by fully immersing you in water. It's a way of identifying with the death, the burial, and then the resurrection of Christ as we identify with him in baptism. It's, it's obedience to scripture. You should be baptized. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, John baptized in that way, and I am going to baptize you not many days from now with the Holy Spirit. So it's an idea of immersion. And that's what the word actually baptizo, where we get baptism from, it means in the Greek. You're going to hear a little bit of Greek today. I don't usually go there, but it's really important to understand that baptizo means immersion. So it's not just, so the thing is, it's not just a filling. It's not filling up with something. It's immersion in it. It's, it's total immersion in it. In Acts 1.8, he goes on to say what's going to happen to you because of this baptism in the Holy Spirit. They're all believers. Remember, they're, they're Christians. They're following Jesus. Uh, and, and, and then Acts chapter 2 happens. We'll get to it in a second. But he says, this is what will happen to you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's an effect, right? It's not just something that happens in an intellectual basis or in a private room all by yourself, but the Holy Spirit comes to do something in our midst. The Holy Spirit comes to change and transform what we do. He says, you will be my witnesses. You will testify about me. You will be bold for me. You will do things that you wouldn't normally do. And you'll start here in your local community, and you'll go out from here, and you'll change the region, and then the country, and then, you know, to the ends of the world, right? There's someone here uh, from Australia. I can't imagine anything more ends of the world than that, right? Uh, sorry, Zach, but it, it kind of is. And uh, so, but what's cool about that is that, you know, the gospel reached Australia. I mean, as far away as you could possibly imagine, and the gospel was, was there. And so the ends of the earth, it's pretty amazing that this move of God that began with, you know, a small group of pretty timid people has actually gone out into all over the globe into these different areas, and God has transformed lives. And I believe that it began here at this moment on this day in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The day is called Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Kind of important for you to know, first of all, before we go any further, what is Pentecost? So what it is, it's a Jewish feast that occurs between the harvest of the wheat and the harvest of the barley. It's a, meant to be a celebration of plenty, meant to be a celebration of harvest, and we have lots of stuff, and we're going to bake a bunch of bread, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to break out the party utensils, and we're just going to gather together, and we're going to sing and dance and have a wonderful time together. That's what Pentecost is. It really is a gloriously wonderful, beautiful time. And uh, then we're going to invite all these people from around the world to come and join us. So there's lots of people there, Jewish and non-Jewish, from various cultures. They're, they're assembled together in this place, and Jerusalem is packed, packed to the gills. So what happens in verse 2? And suddenly, <laughs> transition statement right there, there came from heaven a sound 
like a mighty rushing wind, the ruach of God, the pneuma of God. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to each of them and rested on them. Now, you know, the thing about the fire is this, like fire in scripture represents purification, purity, and holiness. It wasn't like a candle just got lit up on them, but what it said is that they were lit up on fire for God. They were transformed. They were lit on fire. And so uh, this, this had to have been great. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen this happen? Um, and then in verse four, it continues on, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit, again, is actively doing something inside of their hearts, and something is coming out uh, as a result. There's this spiritual utterance. They're, they're praising God. They're worshiping God. They're singing hymns and spiritual songs to God. And then all of a sudden, this, they, they begin to speak in these other tongues. And in verse 5, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. I mean, wouldn't you be, right? A little bewildered by it? And each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Let me explain what's going on here. So let's just say you're German, and you came here not knowing any English, and you experience something like this in a, in a church context, or maybe you just are walking around Moscow and all of a sudden somebody starts speaking, and you can hear it in like flawless German, like not the accent or anything, flawless German. And the person next to you, they are, you know, of a different culture, and they hear it in their language as well. So by some miracle, what God is doing is he's taking the message of the gospel, and he's putting it in the very language, by his Holy Spirit, in the very language that the hearer is hearing it in. It's a miraculous thing. It's an astonishing thing. It's an external work of the Holy Spirit as he's producing language that for maybe the person that's speaking it was unintelligible, but the hearer understood in their own language. Here's what we know about this event, about this baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's this new empowering that happened in the church. And what it did, and if you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about this, is it changed what was a very insular group of people into a dynamic powerhouse for God. It took people like Peter, who were deniers of God, and they stood up boldly and proclaimed the gospel, and 3,000 people got added. There was something very supernatural in this moment. There was something very, and for those of you guys that have a hard time when you lean into this idea of supernatural, and you're going, ooh, sounds a little weird, like we're talking about like tongues and stuff like that. You know, what is that? And, and you, you, know, you want to push away a little bit, but don't, because the thing is that the gospel moves forward in a supernatural way. Um, I, I firmly believe that. I know that the scripture teaches that. And, and so this new empowering did, back to Acts chapter 8, exactly what Jesus said when he said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So, some more Greek, but the Greek word for power is actually the word dunamos, dunamos. And you want some dunamos in your life, trust me. Because dunamos is power, and it's the same exact root that we use for our word dynamite. It's not power like flipping a power switch. It's explosive power. Dunamos is explosive power, and that's what they experienced there, is dunamos, as the Holy Spirit came to take on the church 
on mission to the ends of the earth. It was dunamos power. Some things we know is that this is a very distinct experience from conversion. This isn't the moment where all these people got saved. They were saved before that. This is a distinct experience. Here's a point where I want to stop and say this, that there is no such thing as a varsity Christian. There are not two classes of believers, like one where you raise your hand and you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, just uh, more than a conqueror. I'm doing great. I got, the, I, got the, you know, I got the letter. I'm doing fantastic. And the rest of you guys are super struggling. And I'm like the, uh, I, I'm level, I've leveled up. You know, we're not doing that. Um, and great harm, in fact, has come to the church as people have tried to divide it and say there's different classes. You're, uh, you know, you're an increased, you know, you're a higher level, uh, you're an upper class Christian, and then there's lower class Christians. There are no varsity Christians. And so we have to understand that. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 teaches, as Paul, in speaking of the body of Christ, says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into what? One body, one body, not multiple bodies, not different sections. He says Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So what he's saying is the, the spirit comes in unity and it, and it affects all of the believers. And when we, are, when we become Christians, we are baptized into the body of Christ. Acts 19, Paul takes it in a really interesting way, he's, he meets up with this group of believers and he's traveling through and he gets to this little village called Ephesus. Let me read it in verse 1. And it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Really glad that he did. Ephesians is a great little book and so we're glad the Ephesians became Christians. And he found some disciples there. Wow, there's some people already in Ephesus who know Jesus. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. No. <laughs> We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now listen, I, I believe that many of you guys, uh, the idea of the Holy Spirit seems a little, like I told you, maybe when I became a Christian, I didn't quite get it. I hadn't heard much about the Holy Spirit. And I think that's where they were at in Ephesus. They were new believers and they hadn't fully uh, gained a mature understanding of who the Holy Spirit was. And so they said, you know, I, we don't know what that is, Paul, honestly. Now, it's important to realize that they were believers, right? The Bible says they were disciples. They were following God, growing in obedience to them. But, but maybe post-hole digging a lot, right? And so, but they believed. Here's what Paul did. He did the most wonderful thing. Because, you know, you get the, uh, the idea when we ever talk about the Holy Spirit that maybe like all of a sudden Pastor Scott's going to do like the televangelist thing and like whoosh, and put my, wave my hand over and people are going to fall. No, no, no. We don't know. We don't do that. But what we do understand is that Paul responded by placing hands on these people. And he did it, I, I believe, in a very loving way. Just like grab a brother in Christ and let's pray for you. And he laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in these other tongues and prophesying. And so you had this new empowering where before there were, they weren't operating in these gifts. They didn't have access to them. They were unavailable. Then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit filled them and they began to operate in their spiritual gifts, you know, prophecy and tongues. And it was, it was just happening because the Holy Spirit had baptized them. And so this new empowering is the ability to use spiritual gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the bobcat and the auger to our post hole digger. And all of a sudden, they're able to do some things that they weren't able to do before. Now, we're going to go into spiritual gifts. 
in the weeks to come. I'm really excited about that. We're going to talk more about all of the gifts that the Spirit gives and bestows to us as Christians. But I wanted for a moment just to stop and pause because I want to lean into Scripture, not move away from it and say, you know, you've probably heard me say speaking in tongues a couple of times and prophecy. And first of all, I realized that there's different perspectives at work in the church on that. And there's some that even believe that the gifts ceased at the time of the apostles. They were for then, but they're not for us today. That that was that was to get the church started. That was the catalyst. But then they they ceased, and and here we are moving forward. I I don't believe that. I don't believe that Scripture teaches that. But it's also what I would call an open-handed issue. While I believe it and I hold it to be true that the gifts of the Spirit are operating today. If you are in a denomination, say a Baptist denomination, and and they don't believe that, I believe that we can still function as brothers and sisters in Christ with that different understanding. In other words, it's not one of those close-handed issues like the Bible, we're standing on the authority of God's Word, or Jesus is God, or the the Trinity. All of those concepts are those close-handed issues that, that define us as playing for the same team. Uh, and so I do realize that there's some other perspectives on that, but I want to lean into it. And the thing is, is when we get into Scripture, I want you to understand that you need to derive your opinions from Scripture. There's a term, theological term, love those big words. Here it is. It's called exegesis. Exegesis means to draw from the text. That's what it means. But then there's another term I'll give you as well, and that's eisegesis. And what that means is to impart your opinions onto the text. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, when we read about these things in particular, and by the way, the Bible has a lot to say about prophecy and a lot to say about tongues, that we can't just go, you know what? I feel a little uncomfortable with that. I'm going to go 1 Corinthians 13 because that's the love chapter. But let's skip over 14 and go to 15 because my opinion is that's just weird. This is weird. Speaking in tongues. I heard it once. It seems like somebody made fun of it in a movie. And I'm just not going to go there, you know. That's just, let's just move on, you know. And, and, and here's what I want to say. Lean into the Bible. The whole, the whole counsel of the Word of God is there to build you up and to, and to, to, to encourage you and to mature you. So, so let's go into this with open hearts and minds. Don't derive your opinions from Scripture then again, don't project them onto Scripture. Derive your opinions from Scripture. Don't project them onto Scripture. So what is this speaking in tongues, first of all? Well, well, it's really simple. It's prayer or praise that's spoken in syllables and language that's not understood by the speaker. It's very simple. So when tongues are exercised as a gift, it's something that happens from a person to God. Important to understand that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. What he utters is mysteries in the Spirit. Mysteries in the Spirit. So prophecy is what? Prophecy is receiving words from God, and it's toward people. Okay? Think of it this way. It's a corporate gift. When I, when I receive a tongue, it comes from God, and it's for you. But, I mean, when I speak in prophecy, but tongues is the opposite. Tongues is something that happens from me toward God. It's, a gift, it's an enabling gift that happens from me toward God. And what's interesting is that that's not at all incompatible with the story of Pentecost. When you had these people g- gathered together in Acts chapter 2, 
And they spoke, they weren't speaking directly to the, the crowd. That didn't actually happen until Peter got up and preached to them. But they were literally praising uh, God. They were singing spiritual songs to God. And then, uh, the, then, then tongues happened and everybody understood in their own language. This is a miraculous thing. So, uh, so that's what it is. It's what kind of speech is this then is, that is directed toward God? What is it? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, For if I pray... In a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What he's saying there is something is going on that I don't fully understand in this experience as it's operating in me that I don't fully understand. Like I got into the bobcat and I started to drive it and then this thing went down and all this whirring sound, but it's all of a sudden I had access to this power, but I didn't fully understand it. Something is happening, uh, that, uh, it's something is happening for me on my behalf, but I don't quite understand. It's a powerful thing. But again, it's from you, the speaker, toward God. Uh, in, in Scripture, our tongues, human languages. They certainly were in Acts chapter 2, but that is the rarity. So in, in Scripture, Acts chapter 2 is a narrative explanation of what's happening as the church is growing and maturing, and human language was resulting not learned by the hearers, not learned by the speakers, but to the hearers, they were hearing it in the right language. It's a miraculous thing. But ordinarily, uh, tongues as a gift involves speaking in a language that no one understands unless it's interpreted. So the question is, and I had this question too when I first heard this, is like, why would God choose to give us a gift that operates in the unseen? In the hidden. Like most of the gifts are really out, outward and, and they operate in the church, like serving or teaching or prophecy. You can even understand how that would be for the corporate edification. But what is the gift of tongues doing and why is it so personal? And it's, it's, it's like it happens in the spiritual realm, it's not understood by our minds. And I, and I have some thoughts on that. So I do believe that God could give us the gift of tongues because we need to stay humble. We, we have to begin to, uh, that it helps us to understand that we are not uh, dealing with something that we understand fully. That our spirits don't have the ability to fully comprehend what we need to pray for and how we need to pray. And so it prevents intellectual pride. It reminds us that God is greater than our understanding and that God exists and moves in us in ways that transcend our understanding. You know, what I think he's doing in using this gift is moving us toward worshiping in spirit and in truth. And again, there is no varsity Christian. This doesn't, if you have this gift, this doesn't make you a better person, a better Christian, nothing. It is a gift that is at work in you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you can, um, you can say and pray things that you can't fully understand. It keeps you humble. It keeps you understanding that God is so much greater than us. So when this is happening in Acts chapter 2, what's occurring there is similar to what Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians 14, that tongues are coming with an interpretation, either miraculously or somebody stands up and says, you know, here's what's being said. He says in verse 5, Now I want you all, by the way, kind of read this and think, okay, I'm the you in this. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the ones who, speak, who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. 
so that the church may build up, may be built up. And what he's doing in these chapters in 1 Corinthians is he's trying to address an out-of-control church where people are speaking in tongues in the gathering. Just imagine if that was happening here. And there's no interpretation, so it just sounds like gibberish. In, in, in chapter 14, Paul actually says, and this is great, I love the bluntness of Paul. He says, you know what? If somebody came and visited you, if an outsider showed up and he heard what you're doing, he'd think y'all are pretty weird. He just says, you know, they'll think that you're strange or out of your minds or maybe drunk. But he says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what he's doing in this section, he's addressing a problem where people are projecting in public their, their gift of tongues, and it's not being interpreted. So it's of no use. He says it's of absolute no value. But he doesn't say that you shouldn't seek it, you shouldn't ask for it, you shouldn't want it. He says, now I want you all— to speak in tongues. And the question is, should we be afraid of this? Like maybe some of you guys are like, oh, I don't know. This seems like it's going in a direction, you know, a little weird. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's not. It's absolutely not. And so you should not be afraid of it. In fact, you should ask for it. And Paul says, now I want you all to do this because it is of value to, to you. But he also says in 1 Corinthians 12, now hear me out because it's the full truth of the Word of God. He says, I also understand that not all do. Not all do. In 1 Corinthians 12, 30, he says, uh, now, not all prophesy. Not all have the gift of teaching. Not all have the gift of healing. Not all speak in tongues. It's a rhetorical question. Do all speak in tongues? But he does say this, earnestly seek the spiritual gifts. Now, I don't think we teach about that enough, that we should earnestly seek, humbly seek the gifts of God. Now, notice I did not say you should seek to prophesy or you should seek tongues or you should seek the gift of healing. None of that. But I am saying this, that you should seek the spiritual gifts. You should ask your Father to give you in his richness all of the gifts that he can give you. Listen, I mean, this is no different from me and my son, Blaze, right? When it comes Christmas time, Blaze isn't going to come down the stairs and go, Hey, Dad, um... I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm just kind of terrible kid sometimes, and I've made so many mistakes, and my grades weren't great. But, you know, if you could maybe, I don't know, you could give me some gifts if you want. No, he comes down. He fully understands that I love him, that I want to lavish gifts on him. And he runs down the stairs, and he knows there's gifts waiting for him on Christmas, and he starts tearing open packages because he wants the spiritual gifts. He wants the gifts from his loving Father. In the same way, God wants to give you and lavish upon you the gifts of the Spirit. I'm so excited to unpack this more in weeks to come. But what does the prayer life of a believer look like? What does it look like when you are spirit-filled? What does it look like? Romans 8, 26 and 27. If you don't know the scripture, you've got to learn this. It's so good. And when I read it again, I was like, this, this has got to be one of my favorite sections of scripture. Commit this to memory. It's a really good one to put in your heart. It says, likewise, the spirit helps us in what? In our weakness. How many of you guys feel weak? Sometimes lack motivation, you know, can't get up in the morning, can't do your prayer, can't, you know, read the Bible, you lack motivation. The Spirit helps us. It's the bobcat, right? For we do not know what to pray. How many of you guys have ever been there? Like, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to read. I don't know, should I open it up? Should I, I, I where do I start? What do I do? I don't know what to say. You know, somebody said like, start praying. Okay, for what? 
you know? How do I pray? It's kind of aimless. And Jesus said, well, here's what you do. You don't pray out in public so everybody can see you. You go into the closet. You pray, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He gives you what to pray. The Spirit helps us. He assists us. He, he, he's a helper, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself does what? He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In the recesses of our heart lies the Holy Spirit who knows how to pray for us, who knows how to groan within us that there aren't even words to say what he wants to do through us. Listen, church, God wants to speak through you in ways that you cannot even predict or understand. It's the groaning of our spirits. And verse 27, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit, again, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He knows what to pray in your heart. He knows what to pray in and through you. That's what the prayer life of a Spirit-filled Christian looks like. You know, I love the postal analogy. The more I think about it, it's really like that. We are, some of us, just, just trying so hard. We're gritting our teeth. We are, we are struggling just to make it. And the Bible says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Are you letting Him help you? Are you filled with the Spirit? Do you let Him help you? Are you getting that Holy Spirit-inspired uh, work inside of you done in miraculous ways through His gifts? I pray that you are. And in fact, I'm going to pray for you in a moment, but I want to ask you um, a question. How do you pray for this empowering? And I'll answer it in this way. Suppose I went to the bank and I had $100 to deposit in the bank. And I lay it down on the counter in front of the teller and I say, I get down on my knees and say, Mr. Teller, please, will you deposit this check? Oh, please take it and deposit it into the bank for me. Please just do it and then the funds will be available to me. No, obviously not, silly. But what we do is we walk in, we go in faith, we place the check on the counter, and we just are confident that the money that is already represented, it's already mine, and it's an act of faith. We just wait for it. We know that it's gonna, it's gonna happen. This is the way we should go about it, but so many times, Christians, we are begging God for things that he already has offered to us. It's readily available to you. The gifts are ready to be waiting or ready to be received by faith. Now, I think one of the problems is that as Christians, we often are praying for an emotional response or an emotional experience. And if we're not getting that, then we get super frustrated. And we, we get to be like this begging and pleading thing, like, God, oh, just please give it to me. And it's like, I don't feel it yet. I don't feel any emotion. I don't feel anything. So the gifts might not be there for me. They might not be happening or occurring in my life. Like, oh, God, please just give it to me. And really what it is, is just begin to operate in the reality of who you are in Christ. Waiting to be received by faith are the gifts of God he so lovingly wants to lavish on you. Um, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible impossible to please God. Think about that for a minute. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith. You have to trust him. He wants to give you the gifts. He wants to operate inside of you. You just have to say, Lord, fill me. I expect it. And here's the thing. When you're praying, expect God to fill you. Without begging or pleading, just pray in faith. 
Would you pray with me right now as a matter of fact? I want to pray a prayer kind of in our corporate voice to God that he would give us his gifts. Dear Heavenly Father, let's start today by saying how much we need you, how much we are dependent upon you for everything. I hunger and I thirst for more of a vital, dynamic, empowered relationship with you. I realize and I admit that I have been trying to be in control of my life. I've been trying to pull all the strings, do it myself. I've been post-holing my way through life, not very effective, not very grow, not growing dynamically, and I'm struggling, God. And as a result, God, I feel like I have sinned against you, and I have, and I, and I've really like tamped down the way that you have want to move in uninhibited in my life. Thank you for forgiving my sins and your, your death on the cross for me. But now today, God, I want to turn my life over to you to surrender control of my destiny and my life to you, Lord Jesus. By faith, I place my, my trust and my faith in you and I invite you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, give me the richness of the gifts of the Spirit in their fullness to me, Lord, as you commanded me to be filled by your Spirit. And you promised me, God, that if I act according to your will, that you will do it because you love me. I pray this in the authority and by the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray right now that you would affect change in us. Demonstrate your, in faith, God, that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for filling up people even now as they prayed, for taking control of our lives, Lord. I pray that we would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And finally, I want to leave you with one last verse, and this, this verse caps it perfectly for me. It's Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. What does that mean? That means you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You were not your own. You were bought with a price. That means when you go out from here today, I guarantee you, you're not going to last. Like, I know one thing about preaching is that you're not going to remember everything that I say. And that's fine. I don't expect you to. Once you get into the car and you go have your lunch, it kind of all fades. It does for me too. Don't worry about it. But what doesn't, what doesn't fade is the Holy Spirit. I mean, he doesn't fade. He is going to chase you down. He is going to be with you all day long. And what I want is for you to have a Holy Spirit sensitivity to his voice. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, what holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, how, how successful do you think you're going to be in the Christian life if you try to renew your own mind? How successful do you think you're going to be? Not very. Not at all. But the spiritual worship is you say, Holy Spirit, transform me. He can renew your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Like if you are struggling in sexual temptation or sin right now, you can try white knuckling your way through it, read the right books, 
talk to the right people, do the right things. And guess what? You should do all of those things. But at the, in the very end, it's the Holy Spirit of God who is going to be that auger to churn through the earth and the soil of your sin to free you up in Christ, to renew your mind. You may be operating on your own human strength, and it's not going to be effective. If you want to live the spiritual life, you have to worship in a spiritual way. This is, this is maybe uncomfortable for some of you, but listen, it's supernatural. It is. It's accessing something that can't be seen, tasted, felt in a, in a physical way, but it is going on inside of us through the Holy Spirit. He wants to groan inside of you. You need him to groan inside of you. You need him to yearn inside of you with words that are unintelligible, with words that are, it's too deep for words. There isn't even a language associated with this. It is so, it is so deep and personal. But God loves you and he wants to operate inside of you for his glory.